Listening to Red Flag Radio, we record the show on Indigenous land that was stolen, never ceded, that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So uh, my name's Roz Ward and I host the podcast and we're an unashamedly revolutionary socialist podcast. So we talk about politics, history, theory with activists and people who are involved in struggles and I guess for today's special edition, talking about the federal election, um, we are not... uh, a podcast that pretends to offer a balanced perspective here, um, and this episode is no different. So we're actually campaigning for the Victorian Socialists. I am, Liam is, um, everyone on here is. So that's what we're talking about. Um, the run-up to the federal election, which is happening extremely soon, and that we're all very busy campaigning around here in Australia, just over three weeks from now, and I've got three excellent people to give their um, perspectives on the campaign, all from the Victorian Socialists and all who may be familiar to you. So we have Kath Larkin, Jerem Small, Belle Gibson, three candidates um, for the lower house here in Victoria, and they will tell you a bit about the seats that they're running in as we go through. Um, But first of all, Kath, who's coming back to the podcast, I've been on a couple of times, welcome back, official friend of the show. Let's start with you and talking about sort of just generally. Seems to me to be a pretty, uh, it's always a shit show, a federal election in terms of right wing politics, but this one seems particularly bad. Can you tell us your take on things so far? I feel like I was just listening to Patricia Carvellis, and you know, they have those stupid panels of Catherine Murphy and people, and it's all like, oh, it's all very interesting. Like, can we have some real talk here about what's going on? Yeah, so I think we're seeing one of the more right-wing federal elections than we've seen for a while. Obviously, we've had nine years of a coalition government, uh, you know, a coal-loving prime minister, most famous for shitting himself in a McDonald's. Um, So, yeah, the shit show is on full display. Uh, We've seen billionaires double their wealth over the course of the pandemic while workers' wages have been going backwards uh, by over $800 Uh, And actually, that's starting to look like it's creeping up uh, even further. Um, At the same time, we're witnessing, you know, the the continuing destruction of the planet. We, you know, hurtle closer and closer uh, to total uh, devastation. Um, And yet there's no one uh, from the major parties, and I include the Greens in that category, who are bringing policies that will tackle that in any serious way. So obviously people want to get rid of this heinous uh, Liberal government, but the Labor Party is running their most right-wing campaign ever. Uh, Anthony Albanese uh, is, you know, out on the front foot saying, I'm going to rule like John Howard. Uh, I will turn back the boats. I will not let refugees come here. Um, I'm not going to tax the rich. Like he's doing his absolute best to prove to everyone that he is no different to the Liberal Party. This is hardly an inspiring campaign. You might have thought that the Greens would take this opportunity uh, to run a more left-wing campaign. And while Adam Bant does say some good things, like we all loved the gotcha speech, um, actually one of the things that he talks about is that politics should be about your vision for society. 
but actually what is the Greens' vision for society? Um, this election has seen them move closer to the centre, I think. Uh, all of the talk of net zero, like no one who cares about climate change can seriously, honestly talk about trying to achieve net zero. Net zero relies on technology that doesn't exist. It allows companies to continue to emit carbon. Uh, it, it's a total licence for a burn now, pay later um, attitude. The only reasonable uh, climate policy is one of bringing power immediately into public hands, of transitioning rapidly to 100% renewables by 2030 at the latest to achieve an actual zero emissions economy by 2035. And the Victorian socialists are the only people who are saying, saying that. So as the disasters, as people's needs are you know, looking more and more in a radical direction, all of the mainstream parties are moving further and further to the right. Yeah, um, definitely. I agree with all of that. And if I bring in Jerem now, just in terms of the background of the Victorian Socialists, um, you know, we were part of setting up uh, the party back in 2018 and you've been involved um, since the beginning. What What was sort of the point of setting up a party like the Victorian Socialists to run in elections like this? Uh, well, the, the point was that in Victoria, due to the structure of the upper house and due to the fact that, you know, Socialist Alternative and other left groups are, you know, of a reasonable sort of size, um, were actually a credible chance to get someone into an Australian parliament as a socialist from outside the Labor Party. And no one's actually achieved that in 70 years. Uh, like Fred Patterson was gerrymandered out of his seat in Queensland in 1950. Uh, and the socialist left um, you know, it's very much been on the margins uh, since then. Um, you know, anyway, there's a whole sort of history there, but there was a realistic chance of um, of getting someone elected to the upper house. And we, we actually came close in 2018. Um, we were told by a whole bunch of sort of pundits, ah, oh, look, you know, you might do okay in the progressive inner city, but, you know, you'll never do, you'll never do any good beyond the ring road. Um, I, as a you know, first-time candidate, I got over 7% in the state seat of Broadmeadows and across Northern Metro, um, upper house seat, we got 4%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if people remember that election, that there was there were 18 different parties on that ballot sheet, we came forth. Labor Liberal Greens us. We got more votes, more primary votes than uh, Fiona Patton from the Reason Party, who ended up being elected due to the in my view, dodgy um, preference deals that she did with other minor parties. So that's the way it goes. Um, but it, it sort of shows that we were definitely in the mix. If we'd got that same vote in Western Metropolitan in Melbourne, in all likelihood, uh, you know, we would have a Victorian Socialist member in the Victorian Parliament right now. And then being able to show that that was no flash in the pan in the, like the next election came along within six months, uh, the federal election in 2019, and again, we got over 4% um, in a handful of seats, um, including in Colwell, where I ran. Um, in 2020, um, like in pandemic conditions where we, we couldn't knock on a single door, we, we could barely talk to a single person uh, because of COVID restrictions uh, and lockdowns and so on. And still we had very credible results. We got our first councillor elected, uh, Jorge Hokera, um, in uh, got us at Yarraville Ward uh, as part of Maribyrnong City Council. Um, Chris Giddings in Meadow Valley Ward uh, got, I think, just over 5%. 
in a very crowded field of 20. Uh, like they came seventh um, out of that entire field. So all of that sort of speaks to, like, yeah, Victorian Socialists has, you know, over a few years now and a few different contests shown that we can, you know, actually be a, 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 a credible threat, I suppose is the, is the word, a credible um possibility of actually putting uh, an outspoken socialist into parliament at the state election at the end of this year and the current federal campaign obviously in terms of our project is a stepping st stepping stone towards that in melbourne's west and melbourne's north yep thanks jeremy um it was my first time as a candidate in the uh in the council elections in 2020 where i pushed Leo in the pushchair <laughs> as a baby around every street in um, the centre of um, Thornbury. Um, and, yeah, you're right. Like it is actually when you pause and think about um, the kind of other minor parties that are on offer that do win some votes and the fact that there's been also a proliferation, I think, of more right-wing parties and there is, again, in this election um, the um, – Clive Palmer's party and so on, that having an actual radical left-wing voice I think is even more important uh, as time goes by, as this project has developed. Um, Belle, you haven't been on the podcast before. Welcome to Red Flag Radio. And this is the first time I think you've stood as a as a electoral candidate. What motivated you to be part of this project? What made you want to be um, a big face on a core flute that sits in people's front yards? Yeah. Um, thanks, Rose. It's not one of the highlights. Um, I know that much. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, it's quite uncomfortable, but um, I do it for the cause. Um, one of the reasons, I guess, I wanted to run is just that, like, the state of Australian politics is just dire. Like, the major parties are indistinguishable. Um, as Kath sort of went through, the rich have had it so good in this country for so long. Um, so there's sort of no shortage of issues to be really angry about in Australian politics, but, like, there's no one that's actually angry about any of these things, um, whether it's, you know, the continued sort of locking up of refugees um, or the fact that killer cops walk free after murdering Indigenous people um, and, you know, the disastrous floods in Queensland, I think, and New South Wales, I think, um, is just like another sort of example of the way like uh, climate change is affecting ordinary people well before it'll ever affect the billionaires. Um, so, yeah, there's no, like, there are just so many things to be pissed off about in Australian politics. And I think there's a big gaping hole where the Victorian socialists um, need to be. Like, they need to be calling out politicians on all of their bullshit, standing up to the billionaires and making the case to ordinary people um, to actually take matters into their own hands and, and fight fight to change things themselves in their unions on the streets. Um, so I think, yeah, it was a bit of a no-brainer um, when they asked me to run. Um, I was pretty excited, I guess. Um, and, I mean, going out to the western suburbs, which is I'm running in the seat of Gorton, um, which is like Caroline Springs, Deer Park, um, going out to the western suburbs and knocking on people's doors, talking to ordinary people about all of these issues that we've talked about is just one of the most heartening experiences. Um, 
and is just the complete antidote to like the monsters that sort of make up the political class in Australia. Our across the world. So there's some very different uh, constituencies um, around and about Melbourne and Bells and Jerem's, I think, quite different from Kath's. I wanted to talk to you a bit about yours, Kath, because the seat of Cooper, um, currently held by Jed Kearney from Labor, who's, you know, sort of on the up and up in the party, I think, um, has been hotly contested with the Greens. It's been very close to be- becoming a Green seat in previous federal elections. And it's considered one of the most left-wing seats in the country. I guess people would then say, well, but if it's between Labor and the Greens, why bother running a socialist candidate? It's a progressive contest. They're both left-wing people. You know, what is there to – why take away from their campaigns by running a socialist? Like, what's the difference? Yeah, so over the years, uh, Labor has obviously got the message that they just cannot get away with running the sort of openly right-wing, kind of right-wing culture war warriors like David Feeney and Martin Ferguson. They've realised that they they can't get away with that anymore. Uh, so they put in Jed, who's a nice, disingenuous left face. Uh, so Jed Kearney claims to be a friend of the environment movement but has significant investments in mining, uh, the mining industry, in fossil fuel uh, space, you know, this is the cause of climate change. Uh, so, you know, not much of a friend of the climate movement, you wouldn't think. I was on a panel with her recently, just last night, about climate change, and she kept assuring everyone that Labor had this wonderful uh, policy that was going to tackle climate change. Uh, she just never had enough time to explain the details of how uh, they were going to reduce carbon emissions. Uh all of it is pretty nice words uh, that don't really mean much when she's also promised to never cross the floor, to always back the party. Uh, and uh, as I said earlier, Anthony Albanese is out there talking about supporting building new coal mines. Uh, so Jed is sort of a left-faced, uh, she's used by the party, and in fact she's happy to be used by the party uh, to appear uh, as a progressive candidate while actually just uh, – helping to ensure that the Labor Party continues its kind of neoliberal rightward uh, drift. So we do need an actual uh, someone who's actually going to get out there uh, and fight on the question of class politics. Then there's the question of the Greens. I think on balance the Greens are a pretty middle-class party. I think we've seen that their focus in this election is trying to win over those uh, Liberal Party seats, which means inevitably uh, in the areas that they think they can most win, running a more kind of technocratic, conservative campaign. I think they really feed into this sort of uh, false narrative that there's a kind of socially progressive um, elite uh, and a kind of working class that are perhaps socially democratic, but, you know, are backward on social issues. Um, Celeste, I think, is... Uh, a, a better candidate than in in some ways, in that she does have some history of activism. But the Greens are not Celeste. Like the the, the Greens still, uh, I think, are a party that, on the whole, is moving to the centre um, and don't represent a socialist uh, politics. Don't represent a politics that wants to see the working class organised um, and taking power into their own hands. So it matters that in, you know, this seat that's considered the most left-wing seat, we actually have a fighting radical alternative. 
and you know, I've been, you know, on the doors talking to people and you can see that that's needed. You know, I talk to people who are looking for a real left-wing alternative. They, you know, that they've got the they've got the vibe, like the that the greens are a bit disingenuous, that they don't go far enough. Um I've also spoken um, you know, it's a minority of people left in Cooper because of the gentrification that's happened in that area. But I've spoken recently to a number of older workers who were radical, um, you know, in the 60s, who were involved in strikes, who helped fight to lift um, the wage and living standards for everyone. And they've been looking for an alternative that still speaks to them, that still speaks uh, to those working class issues and can tie that together uh, with tackling questions of social justice because actually racism, homophobia, sexism, all of these sorts of injustices, they're actually just an act of class war from above. They're about dividing and weakening the working class and we need a radical set of politics that sees that for what it is. Yeah, and that's been my experience as well campaigning in Cooper that there are people who are like, you know, not actually happy with the choices on offer that they do realise that um, with the current kind of set of crises that we're facing that they don't really look like progressive options like they may have used to a little bit more, but now I think people are sort of a bit more ready for something um, that shakes things up a bit. And, Jerem, for you in Caldwell, let's talk about your seat for a minute, um, sort of uh, a more solidly working class seat, to say than Cooper. The safe labour seat by a mile, I think 80% or more, for labor there. What have you learned and you've been around politics for a while? What are some of the things you've learned from the people in Fallwell when you talk about politics there? Well, like seeing uh, let's see, Caldwell is the second safest Labor seat in the whole country. So yeah, in one sense we're up against Labor, but what we're actually up against, I think, is a whole entrenched and really understandable uh, cynicism about politics and disengagement from politics. Like th there's a hell of a lot of people that vote Labor or who were looking for something else um, with no particular, um, uh, you know, who used to be Labor voters but don't have any particular attachment. And that, um, like, uh, that's, well, one, one of the interesting things for this election is the appeal of the United Australia Party. We've had discussions on doorsteps with people who are unionised workers, uh, shop stewards even, one self-described uh, socialist from a Turkish background who's a shop steward in um, one of the union delegate, one of the uh, industrial facilities in Campbellfield, uh, which is within the electorate. And he was saying, look, I've voted uh, Labor for ages. They never did anything, especially around here. I voted Greens. And I don't think they're really for, for me. Um, so I'm going to vote Clive Palmer this time. Um, and... Like, <laughs> which is pretty remarkable that because I mean, our criticism of the political parties is they basically do the bidding of the billionaire class who have, well, the billionaires who have, you know, doubled their wealth in the pandemic, as Kath said. This would be not just doing the bidding of the billionaires, but voting for actual billionaires such as Clive Palmer. Um, and so we have something that. Like we can talk in a way that the United Australia Party people can't, which is to, to really rail against the billionaires and the fact that there is plenty of money for better wages, for social spending, for better health, for higher disability allowance, like all of this sort of stuff. If we actually, uh, you know, tax the billionaires and if we started to challenge the very existence of billionaires in, in this uh, 
uh, in this society. You can definitely get a hearing for those sorts of views. We're a pretty small operation, so um, the cha I think it will be a real challenge. Like we, we came fourth in the federal election last time in a field of eight candidates, Labor Liberal Greens us with United Australia somewhere behind us. I think it'll be a real challenge to um, reproduce that. Um, that there's a, a bit of a surge, I reckon, of United Australia Party, and it is really the chickens coming home to re roost for the Labor Party in particular. Um, and the, the tragedy, in a way, well, part of the tragedy is that a lot of these ideas are just uncontested by the mainstream. Um, and in a lot of electorates, there, there simply is no left-wing alternative for people who were drifting away from Labor um, in disgust or disenchantment. Um, and looking for some sort of alternative. So, it, like every time I, I, mean, I had one of those discussions yesterday, and it just, for me, it injects a real urgency to it, um, to uh, to what we're doing, to be able to demonstrate that, you know, socialist politics can actually appeal to people in working class areas, that it doesn't just, uh, it's not just some inevitable drift to the right. Um, yeah, there'd be more, to, I mean, one of the other things is just what a low bar it is. Like, we did a bunch of stuff on the first day of the of campaigning in the federal election last time in 2019. There was a massive explosion in a chemical uh, waste facility in Campbellfield. The entire suburb, uh, Dallas and Broadmeadows and Coolaroo, were blanketed in toxic smoke. We called it a protest. It was a small protest, um, but a couple of other people sort of jumped on that and started calling their own protests. Uh, got some publicity. It, that was part of triggering the Environmental Protection Authority to actually start doing their jobs and seizing control of, um, you know, these dodgy sites or, frankly, you know, allegedly criminal sites in the toxic waste industry. I've raised that example a few times, just an example of the sort of, you know, we aspire to be a people power party, you know, like mobilising people to defend their own interests and speak up and make a noise. Um, and a lot of people remember that. No, no one's done anything like that. No, no other political party uh, in Broadmeadows um, has done anything like that. So we really stand out. That should be absolutely normal for anyone purporting to be a working class party like Labor does. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know it's one thing to sort of know it in general, but to actually um, you know uh, to see that on the doorsteps and in the conversations is is pretty interesting. I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me that raises the question of like what is politics for? And that's one of the big differences, I think, between the Victorian socialists and other parties that we don't think politics is just for winning seats in whatever Houses of Parliament or Victorian State Parliament or wherever or councils or anyway, it's not just about elections. It's about um, improving the lives of people overall and you know there's lots of different ways you can do that that are not anything to do with elections like organizing protests around chemical fires and um, toxic waste and all of those kind of things so i guess that leads into a question i wanted to ask you bell about the fact that um you know one of the things we come up against with being a small party with not very much money by the way you can donate to the victorian socialists i'll put a link to that in the show notes if you are keen and you can also volunteer i'll just put this in here and i'll plug it again at the end but um you know we're not going to win a lower house seat in federal parliament like we might win four or five percent we'll be happy with that or more um different different places so people say well if you're not going to win the seat, why should I vote for you? 
Bill, how do you respond to that question? Yeah, um, it is, I guess, uh, kind of a common thing um, that people say when when I when I'm door knocking, um, and I. I guess we're arguing um, to voters to give us their number one preference as um, the best way to keep the Liberals out, but also to send a message to Labor. Um, yeah, we don't have any illusions that we're going to unseat anybody in the lower house this time around. Um, I know I certainly don't plan to unseat Brendan O'Connor, um, the incumbent of 18 years in Gorton, um, where I'm running. Um, but it's about sending a message to Labor and the Greens that that people think they're better when they're more left-wing, uh, that people like it when they're more principled, when they stand up to big business, when they, um, yeah, when they do more progressive things. Um, and it sends a message to them that, that most working-class people are well to the left of mainstream politics, and that's something that poll after poll shows and um, my experience of knocking on doors shows as well. We want to kick the Liberals out. In fact, we hate the Liberals the most um, out of any political force in Australia, um, and we've spent the last nine years fighting them every step of the way. But we also know that Labor and government is often not much better than the Liberals. Um, they still lock up refugees um, they keep expanding the fossil fuel industry and they maintain the anti-union laws. Um, they just sort of do it with a nicer face so it can make people complacent. Um, whereas we're saying like a strong first preference socialist vote in this election is the first step to building a political alternative, no matter who wins government, because um, we know that uh, we're going to have to fight tooth and nail um, no matter the outcome of this election. Um and uh, strengthening the socialist vote puts us in, like, places in the best position to do that. Um, yeah, which is an argument that seems to resonate with people. Like, as soon as you sort of say, you know, uh, vote socialist, it'll flow through to Greens or Labor, it'll still help kick out the Liberals or whatever, um, people are really open to that. But I think there's this, um, uh, the Labor Party's campaigning on, like, not necessarily this positive argument for the Labor Party, but like we just need to kick the Liberals out and sort of um, that's what a lot of people have uh, picked up on. But as soon as you just sort of have a chat to people about the um, the logistics of the preferencing system but then also like the political argument of why like a strong socialist vote um, could actually make a difference to Australian politics, people are really open to that. Mm. Yeah, that's been my experience too, even with the so-called most educated uh, lecturer in, here in Cooper, where on the doors, like, you know, you remind people with the preferencing system that even though they're very committed to kicking out the Liberals, which of course we are as well, that they can really maximise the vote. Like you can make your vote work for you twice. You can vote one for the Victorian socialists and show what you genuinely believe should be happening in politics. And you can vote two for Labor or the Greens in Cooper or Labor, in if it's a Labor seat that you want to be um, to continue to be a Labor seat, and you get to use your vote twice. Like we don't get to do that in the UK. We have first past the post, and it's fucking one tick, and that's it. And here, you can actually vote for the people you genuinely want um, to support, and hopefully, that is the Victorian Socialists. I think a lot of people can can see the benefit of that. So. Um, we're also running for the Senate here in Victoria, and I wanted to get Kath as um, 
one of the people who's leading the campaign efforts overall for the Victorian Socialists to tell us about the Senate candidate. I'll put a link to a video that we've made about him as well because I think that's really excellent and something to share around. But, Kath, do you want to just introduce us to our Senate candidate who would have loved to have been here but is absolutely running off his feet at the moment so Kath can do it by proxy? (laughs) Yeah, so Aaron Malvaganem, I've been working with Aaron since I was a teenager in the refugee movement. Um, He's one of the most inspiring uh, people and one of the best socialist uh, orators you'll ever meet. Uh, He was uh, he fled the genocide in Sri Lanka uh, as a Tamil, a genocide that you know our government played a role in, uh, fled that uh, as a teenager, as a 13-year-old, was locked up in Villawood Detention Centre, something that should happen to no human and certainly no child. Um, and then he has dedicated his life uh, to fighting alongside the oppressed. So that's meant uh, help, uh, co-founding the Tamil Refugee Council. It's meant being a union organiser and you know organising and supporting workers in manufacturing, finance, logistics, cleaning, uh, particularly organising migrant workers, uh, much like some of the workers that Jerem talked about who were impacted by those chemical fires. Uh, he's just been an absolute fighter who stands alongside the oppressed uh, and not just on the question of workers' rights and racism but also fighting for marriage equality, fighting for women's rights. Um, Aaron is committed uh, to fighting all of the injustices of this system uh, and has none of the sort of, I don't know, uh, professional politician rubbish that makes you think that you need to be polite to these people who are constantly screwing you over. Aaron isn't interested uh, in getting some respectable seat at the negotiating table. He wants to flip that table over uh, and he's you know, campaigned uh, in such a way in a, a to- totally honestly. Uh, he's exactly the kind of person that could shake up Australian politics uh, you know, to say to the, the Liberal, the Labor Party, the Greens, and we're not going to let you get away with kind of nice words that belie your true motives and actions. Uh, we're going to be a megaphone uh, for all of the struggles um, on the streets. We're going to stand up, uh, you know, a- advertise every single picket line, um, you know, pass motions in solidarity of Palestine. Uh, this is someone who will be, uh, I think, uh, a real asset uh, to the struggle from below uh, by, by combining those, you know, street politics, working class politics and using a parliamentary platform uh, to to expand those things. Yep, and, of course, even more in the Senate, you can um, use your preferences wisely and, and vote for Aaron first and, go, and run through every other number as you do that um, massive voting sheet in the at the uh, polling booth. Belle, I wanted to talk to you about younger people in politics. I don't want to like pigeonhole you as a younger candidate, but you obviously are one of the younger candidates, you know, around. There's a lot of older people in 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 um, mainstream politics and you know there's a lot of efforts to get young people to register to vote and there's like TikTok things that are about or I saw one yesterday that was like don't be a dummy and just vote for what your parents tell you to vote for which I thought was highly patronizing to young people Um, but in terms of young people's 
concerns, like from your perspective, how does VS compare to the major parties? Are you finding there's a resonance there with younger people? Yeah, yeah, there definitely is. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, believe it or not, we found actually talking to young people um, instead of trying to um, make patronising TikToks um, to target them was actually a far more effective way of understanding what young people care about. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, knocking on doors, um, and this is all backed up by polls as well. There's sort of two standout issues, I think, for young people. Um, firstly, it's climate change. Like over 90% of people under 30 think the government needs to do like way more um, around climate change. And then the other issue is the cost of living stuff, um, whether that's buying into the housing market or rental stress, um, stagnating wages and, like, yeah, the, um, the inflation that's, um, that's, you know, crushing people at the moment. Um, none of the major parties have a plan to deal with either of these issues. Um, but as Victorian socialists, we understand that these issues are linked um, you could quite easily address the soaring cost of living and the climate destruction of the fossil fuel industry by nationalising the energy sector, uh, taking pro uh, the profit motive out of utilities would make it a lot easier to transition to 100% renewables, but would also address a key financial strain on ordinary people, especially young people. Um, we don't think that anyone should be making a profit off essential services um, or off destroying the planet. Um, and the sooner we can like shut the fossil fuel industry down, the better. Um, so I think the thing about seeing these issues as linked is is the thing that Victorian socialists has that the other parties do not have. Um, the other thing is that, you know, it was young people leading the climate movement in 2019 that saw hundreds and thousands of people out on the streets around the world demanding climate action, um, led completely by high schoolers. Uh, we know that when given the chance, young people will fight. Um, and we know that nothing will change if we don't rebuild um, climate activism and nothing will change if we don't get young people into their unions fighting for wage rises. Um, and the Victorian Socialist is, is committed to championing, the, championing these fights and, and as well putting resources into these campaigns um, so that young people can fight for these things themselves because, um, you know, we know that, that no one's coming to save us but us um, and so um, we need a political force that's willing to organise young people and put them at the front of these struggles or whatever. Um, and we don't buy into any of the crap that, like, young people are just um, disengaged or young people don't care or whatever. We understand that they do care. They just don't have a memory um, in their lifetime of, like, a working class that, that was combative and actually fought for these kinds of things. So um, that's been, like, one of the most enjoyable things, knocking on doors, is talking to young people and going, yes, you're right to be pissed off, um, but it hasn't always been this way. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, that's all true that actually when you talk to young people, that, that um, I think actually there's polls and stuff that show that this generation of 18-year-olds probably are most are more aware of the state of the world and the various um, points of crisis than other generations before them and more willing to get involved in activism to do something about it. And I think we can definitely 
uh, tap into that sentiment. We'll we'll, we'll, uh, start to finish this discussion up, but Jeremy, I wanted to ask you the gotcha question, which is not about CPI, though you would know the answer to that question. And actually you would know the answer to what the CPI increase for non-discretionary spending is. Can you tell me that figure? So non-discretionary spending is shit that you don't get any choice about, like food, yeah. housing, uh, petrol, and that figure is 6.6%. Yeah, that's Whew, I think I passed correct. that, which is, just over, which is just over the last year, may I say. The last quarter, the first three months of this year, prices rose by 2.1%. Yeah. In three months. So you don't have to be a maths whiz to realise, okay, if that keeps up, we're looking at an 8% inflation rate. So yeah. I think all of the policies that we're putting the victorian socialists are putting forward in terms of let's go back to the 2020 levels of job seeker um let's you know um like actually have a minimum wage which people can survive on like 30 bucks an hour instead of you know 22 or whatever the hell it is um let's actually abolish all of the anti-union laws that bell referred to um you know so that unions can actually fight for a living wage i think all of that um has a you know it's always relevant but has a renewed relevance in the light of yesterday's figures yeah, it's uh, it's, and I think well the the other gotcha question from people who think they're more radical um, than us in some ways, and who approach federal elections by just saying you know a plague on all of you for being part of this system would say oh that's all very nice like your reformist policies about cost of living or whatever but aren't you a revolutionary socialist and if you're against capitalism. Why are you kind of propping up the system by being a part of this? How do you respond to that? Gotcha. Oh, geez. Well, I, I don't think the system is going to stand or fall based on whether left-wing or even revolutionary candidates uh, run in elections or uh, do well in elections. Um, in fact, look, there's an exchange that uh, if people go to the Red Flag website, there's a response from me that's uh, up at the moment responding to a critique from uh, uh, Tommy Lawson, who was uh, who's written something on Red Black Notes, so people should check out the exchange. And, I mean, without sort of going through, you know, a blow, blow, blow description, I think um, there's a bit of a caricature there of one bite of the poisoned apple of electoral politics, and that's it. You're gone. You're cast out of the revolutionary garden. You know, the, um, and the, the model that uh, Tommy Lawson puts forward of electoralism is very much your sort of classic, oh, well, you know, people run in elections, they sell out, um, look at the Labor Party. Um, the whole tendency is to want to rain reform or socialism down upon society rather than organise workers at the point of production. This is a caricature because there's a whole... Uh, history of involvement in electoral politics and, in fact, in parliamentary politics, which is nothing at all to do with that, which is all about using that uh, platform of elections and using that platform of parliament to push forward struggles um, that do make a difference in the workplace and on the streets, to put forward um, ideas that go beyond the present system and to put forward a militant and uncompromising way of fighting for those demands. Um, People might have heard of a a little organisation that was around 100 years ago called the Bolsheviks, which no matter what you say about the Bolsheviks and the regime that, you know, happened after the, uh, the Russian Revolution, they certainly had a very different view of parliamentary work to the sort of caricature that Tommy Lawson puts forward in Red Black Notes. Like they, they had extensive parliamentary representation and used that, um, you know, to speak out against the, you know, the Russian regime of the day, to speak out against the war, got themselves arrested famously for that and so on. 
jump forward 100 years, um, and there's a really interesting article in the current edition of Marxist Left Review, which is online, um, that people should check out. Um, a summary from a couple of uh, socialists in Argentina about a breakthrough that they had there of um, a, a front of revolutionary groups, uh, which scored a million votes in the elections in Argentina last year and actually became, like, that's, you know, 5% of the vote, but that that makes them the third largest electoral force in the country. Um, and there's a possibility of using uh, parliament as a way of building struggles, uh, building socialist movements and building socialist politics um, that I, I think is important and certainly informs, um, you know, socialist alternative, um, our attitude to elections. That's not universal in like, the whole question of revolution, you know, is not an agreed matter uh, within Victorian socialists. But I think the key for us is that we're free to advocate for whatever vision of socialism uh, that we have and combined with other people that can see it would be a real step forward for the socialist movement in this country um, to actually get a credible result and then to go on better at the end of the year and get someone to parliament. So I think that's a project definitely worth supporting rather than from, uh, rather than abstaining from. Yep. Um, thanks, Jerem. And let's finish here with, um, well, a, a call out for people listening to this, if you are not already involved in the Victorian Socialists, to say that we would very much welcome your involvement at any stage for however many hours or minutes or whatever time or money that you can give um, to the cause would be uh, most welcome. Um, particularly even if you are thinking, fuck it, I would stand there on election day itself on May 21st and hand out how to votes for this party because it's got to be better than the other options available. Um, and we definitely need your help with that uh, because I think there's 350 polling booths that we're trying to get staff for on election day. So it, even for half that day, if you can come along and help out, that would be fantastic. And the details for that are linked in, in the notes for this episode. So uh, let's give people some inspiring stories of what it's like to campaign for the Victorian Socialists. Um, let's start with uh, Belle. Do you have a story from your campaigning so far that you think um, might inspire other people to, to give it a try? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have just one sort of inspiring story. I guess um, the thing I've just consistently found is like having conversation after conversation with people on their doorsteps about, um, you know, what they're pissed off about um, just constantly illustrates how ordinary people are just the opposite of the shitbags that run this country and that ordinary people are actually quite political and, um, you know, do have a history of fighting. And so there's just three conversations I've had in the last week alone that sort of just stood out to me. I met a guy who was in the Militant Builders Labourers Federation in the 70s and 80s and um, talked to me about how the CFMEU is um, needs to be more like the BLF today. Um, a few doors down, I met someone who was involved in um, the fight against Jeff Kennett's privatisations in the 90s. Um, and then the next street over, I um, spoke to a teacher who voted no um, in the recent um, uh, to the to the recent Victorian government schools agreement um, that would mean an effective pay cut to to teachers um, across the state. So more to say that like 
um, just consistently, I'm just chatting to people who like have fought, who will fight again um, if the left um, is willing to sort of get organised and 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 make that happen. Yeah, cool. What about you, Kath? Yeah, yeah, I've got a, a, a few stories. Um, one of my the first one of the first door knocks I did for Cooper in this election was an evening door knock in Elfington. Uh, it's not the easiest area and it's not the easiest time to do a door knock. And the first house I walked up to, I thought, gosh, this is a big house. Um, this is a nice house. Uh, this person is not going to like me. Um, and I knocked on the door um, and to my absolute delight, a very working class uh, woman uh, ca- came to the door, um, you know, had a couple of funny little issues that she wanted to talk about. But actually, like once we got into it, uh, she was angry about gentrification in the area. She could talk about how all of her friends, everyone she grew up with on the street, uh, had been kicked out of the area, how her and both her parents uh, struggle to keep up with the rates and the mortgage on the house uh, and how the cost of living is really strangling them. A lot of people uh, in in my area are people who would be kind of considered asset rich. You know, Their house might be worth a lot of money, but that doesn't mean anything until you sell it. Um, so it was really wonderful uh, chatting chatting to her uh, and she was excited that there were people who were actually going to stand for, for working class people, for ordinary people. Um, I had another conversation uh, with a group of young people um, who were being evicted um, because uh, their landlords uh, didn't approve of their lifestyle um, and they were they were pretty angry about it and so they were really glad to hear that there was a party that wanted to uh, take on the landlords, take on the rich, tax them, but also confiscate the houses of these greedy landlords who just have countless uh, properties that they leave empty uh, because they can make more money off it. You know, housing should be a human right. Uh, but probably my absolute favourite conversation uh, was with an older guy um, in Thornbury who had been a militant metal worker in the 60s. Um, and he talked to me about, you know, the, the the strikes that he'd been part of, the fact that we needed more of that today um, and that, you know, people needed to get out there and protest. And he talked with a lot of pride about how his involvement in the anti-Vietnam War movement. So, you know, these people are still around and actually it's been a crying shame that there's been no one uh, in parliamentary politics that speaks to the things that they care about. And so getting to, like, talk to these people, talk to people who want someone to hear what they have to say, who want someone to listen to their opinions uh, is just like a real, real joy. Um, and you can be apprehensive about it at first. The first time I door knocked, it seemed like such a way out kind of thing to do. Uh, but honestly, like you give it a go, maybe you fumble your words at a few doors, uh, but actually like it's just wonderful to get out there and talk to people. Yeah, and I think people just, I mean, my experience is people just appreciate someone who cares about anything coming and talking to them and being genuine about it. So, re- like, you pr- you pretty much, I think, I think I will say it, you can't really go wrong door knocking because you care, you're there, you say it's the Victorian Socialists and you've done more than most other parties. And, and um, yeah, and just come and give it a go. Uh, and so there's lots of opportunities to do that. So the Victorian Socialist website has a list of events that you can look at to figure out which ones are near you and how you can get to them. There's new people at every event, so you won't be the only new person if you've never done it before. And there'll be people who, who you can um, partner up with and go around with. And yeah, 
are highly recommended by all of us. Um, so thanks, Kath, Jerem, and Belle for being here. And thanks for um, us. We look forward to voting for the Victorian Socialists, all of us, and continue to campaign. And there'll be more on the elections coming from Red Flag Radio uh, very soon. So you're listening to Red Flag Radio. We have a world to win. <laughs>